Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, most of my childhood dioramas consisted of me gluing cotton balls and popsicle sticks poorly to the inside of a shoebox. But the ones at the Carnegie Museum of Natural History are pretty cool, except for one, because it has human remains. And, well, it's kind of racist. Lead producer Megan Harris is here with Gretchen Baker, the director of the museum, to talk about what they intend to do with the display and the human pieces inside of it. It's Tuesday, April 26th. I'm Morgan Moody, and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. Gretchen, thank you so much for being on the show. Welcome to CityCast Pittsburgh. Thank you so much. Say I'm visiting the Natural History Museum for the first time and I walk in and I think it's just left of the ticket counter. I see this display, lion attacking a dromedary. What am I looking at? Like the diorama itself. So when you're looking at the case, you're looking at a large camel, a single humped camel. There is a mannequin of a man on the camel and the mannequin is in a moment of so strife with a lion that is jumping up onto the camel and its arms are outstretched and it's ready to attack the individual riding the camel. And then on the ground, there's a second lion that apparently was recently shot by the individual on the camel. So the individual, there's a gun on the ground and the individual is holding a knife. So there's a, a moment of defense and offense going on in this kind of, this uh, encounter. Yeah. Um, Walk me through kind of the history of it. Um, How did the Carnegie Museum get this thing? Because it's a lot older than um, our museum system at large. It is, right. So the diorama was originally made in the mid-1800s, and it was on display at the Paris International Exhibition in 1867. So it was made by a couple of French taxidermists who were brothers. The last name was Verreau. And in 1869, after the exposition closed, the American Museum of Natural History in New York purchased this diorama. And then about 30 years later, in 1898, the American Museum of Natural History decided they no longer wanted the diorama. And so Andrew Carnegie purchased it for the museum that he was building in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And so the museum has it now, but it depicts several inaccuracies. Right. Uh, I think in official language, the museum calls it complicated and problematic. So can you walk us through what all is wrong with this piece? The title of the diorama for a long time was Arab Career... Attack by Lions. Is that right? There you go. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and so when you look at the clothing the headwear, some of the features on the individual. It's combining the traditions and customs and, and costumes of different communities. And so it's it's kind of, it's making this very generalized, stereotypical image of an Arab man. And so kind of this mishmash of different cultures coming together today feels quite disrespectful of the, the cultures that would have been in the communities that would have been inhabiting that part of Northern Africa at that time. So that's one kind of inaccuracy. <laughs> that's one. Um, <laughs> there yeah. are a few on this thing, unfortunately. <laughs> yes, yes. And there's some questions about the Barbary lions, which I don't, 
I don't fully understand some of the biological questions around the Barbary lions, but there are some questions about the scientific accuracy of those. Because it's the male attacking and, and I guess female lions are more more traditionally considered the hunters of the group. Right, right. And then some of the other problematic aspects of it aren't, aren't so much inaccuracies. For example, the mannequin or the individual on the camel, the head is actually fashioned around an actual human skull. And the museum is making um, some changes to its policies and will be taking all human remains off of public display in the near future. Wow. You know, this was an individual. Um, we don't know, you know, this individual certainly was alive at one point. We have no idea who this individual was. We don't know if this individual, um, how the remains came into the hands of the taxidermist. Who had a, a troubling history of grave robbing. They did. They did. Um, so that's, you know, we don't know that this individual was acquired that way, but their the track record up to that point suggests that it probably was not remains that came into their hands in a legal fashion. Yeah, or through consent. Right. And that is certainly the informed consent piece is, is paramount to to museums, um, or at least to our museum, not going forward. So as we think about, we have a couple of other locations in the museums where human remains have been on display for decades and decades, and that's primarily in our Egypt Hall. And so those remains will also be coming off display in the very near future and, um, and moved into a sanctuary space in our collections area. Interesting. When you say sanctuary space, you know, how do you design for something like that in a museum context? Because, you know, with a lot of these displays, I can imagine with some of the Egyptian ones, it's it's whole pieces, right? But with this diorama, it's it's the skull, right. um, which right. is, you know, you can't easily remove one from the rest of the piece. Right. Well, in the case of the, the dromedary, the only human bones in that um, display are a skull. And then there are animal bones in the, the other animals, um, the taxidermied animals. So in that case, that skull would be removed from the individual. Um, we would assign collection data to it, and it would be presented and preserved in a box or in some kind of very intentional collections um, casework that would be separated from other individuals. So as if it were in a burial, you know, you would not mix the bones from different individuals. So in the sanctuary spaces, the bones from each individual are kept separate from one another. So with this piece, then, would a new head be fashioned for the diorama, you know, if indeed it stays on display? So, you know, that's kind of a whole process in and of itself is if we were to replace the, the head on this sculpted individual, what would that well, how would we depict the face of that individual? And so the conversation is, what is what are the choices that we have to make about um, about skin color? We could it would give us an opportunity to redo the the headpiece, and that might help us address some of the cultural inaccuracies. So there would be certainly a a lot of decisions about what that would look like because um, the way that it's constructed, the face features and the materials that you're looking at when you're looking at the face are actually attached to the skull bones. So it's not like you kind of have to start all over, you know, it's, it's integral to the, to the sculpture, to the, to the object. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and so the bones were actually found during a refurbishment, right? In 2017. Um, but then 
the diorama itself wasn't removed until the summer of 2020. I, I know that was before your time as director, mm -hmm. but do you know why it was taken down at that time, you know, after all these years on display? Yeah, well, my understanding is that in 2016, the diorama was moved to its current location from the diorama hall. And I think at that time, my predecessor and others had an interest in this diorama as an example of, you know, a very particular tradition at a particular time. And there was some interest in um, conserving the piece, but giving it a new case. So really elevating its presentation, putting some new interpretation around it and giving it pride of place in the grand staircase at the museum. So in, in some ways, I think, you know, I wasn't here, but there were, I understand some criticisms at that time about having a person of color, a display of a person of color in what is otherwise a an animal wildlife hall mm -hmm. and some concerns about that proximity. And so the relocation of that to the grand staircase was an effort to really elevate the art history of this, this diorama. And then at that time, because the case was open, they took the opportunity to do the CT scan of the of this the figure. And that's when they discovered that the skull was inside. Wow. So really, it wasn't until the last several years that they were even aware that they were human remains in it, as far as I'm aware. Yeah. Um, well, and, you know, just looking at the timeline, it was, I think, June 2020, um, which, of course, for most of us, you know, that's the pandemic. That's about the time mm -hmm. of the Black Lives Matter demonstrations really picking up steam. Did the timing of that, you know, I know the museums were closed for a time. So many protests and demonstrations went through Oakland mm -hmm. near the museums. Is that part of why the diorama came down at the time it did? Yes. So if you go around the galleries at the museum, and this is, this is typical for most natural history museums. You won't find many white people on display. So if you go to a natural history museum, most of the individuals represented on exhibit are going to be people of color. Native Americans, African, Northwest Coast Indians. You don't usually see white people on display or presented or represented in a natural history museum. From a colonialist perspective, those yes. would have been the exotic cultures to them. Exactly. You know, so if you go back to the to the Paris International Exhibition, the World's Columbian Exposition of 1893 in Chicago, you know, a lot of times um, human cultures would be displayed as primitive, uncivilized, exotic, other. Um, it was a very exploitative practice. Yeah. Now, certainly, I'm, there, I'm sure there were individuals who were very earnest in their attempts at representing authentic cultures, you know, at these World's Fair and early anthropologists who were, you know, deeply interested in, in different cultures and traditions and very respectful of that. But, but even respect at the time had such a different tone than right. a modern sensibility. Um, it was right. all through this lens of conquering. Yes. Um, or, you know, missionary work like or of, of conversion, not necessarily through appreciation, let alone, um, you know, living comfortably side by side. In a lot of natural history museums, the, the, the objects and specimens that we have in our care, you know, they were taken from other places and brought to Pittsburgh to bring the world to Pittsburgh. Right. Yeah. And so we need to today with that legacy in mind is how do we preserve that? The innate kind of wonder about the, the broader world, which inspired a lot of these expeditions and travels around the world. And 
celebration of human cultures and biodiversity, but understanding also that it's it's not okay that the only handful of individuals we have on display here at the Natural History Museum are all people of color. Yeah. And so the for the diorama, for the dromedary to be in the very central location that it is, and it's a person of color, and it's this kind of violent moment. You know, it's a very dramatic moment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and whether it's, you know, some people are very upset about, well, it's just a lion. It's a lion attacking a person of color. It's not Please like tell me people have being. not submitted that feedback to you. Oh, yes. <sighs> so it doesn't, okay. but, you know, it doesn't matter in my mind if it's a lion or another individual showing an act of violence. It is a very kind of violent moment. And no, but it, it depicts in, a person of color in pain, clearly. Right. Right. And the face on that individual is really difficult for me to look at. So why bring it back in that place then? And, you know, right in the front hall? Well, so it never left that place. It stayed in that location. And in June of 2020, um, curtains were put up around okay. it. So it was, it, was, it was visually taken off view. That was at the front entrance or still in the... No, in the front entrance, so the grand staircase where it's located today. Yeah. So it came down there. I think in like 2017, and it hasn't moved from the current location since then. So in June 2020, curtains were put up around it so that it was not visible to the public. It seems like that might almost draw more attention to it, it in did. a way. It <laughs> okay. did. And it started to look like we were not wanting to discuss something that's very difficult about our history, yeah. right? So it became kind of a victim. There's like, okay, now you're canceling it, right? Or you're sweeping it under the rug. So that was the unintended consequence of trying to to cover it. So then a few months later, the curtain was opened a little bit. So you still wouldn't see it unless you chose to. Mm -hmm. You know, you could go into the in behind the curtain. You could look at the display. You could read some of the new interpretation around it. Um, but it was a choice that you made rather than just unexpectedly happening upon a display that could be very upsetting to people. Now it's surrounded by, gosh, I guess at least more than a dozen little signs or extra pieces yeah. there to contextualize yeah. what you're seeing, to talk mm -hmm. about various aspects of it. Um, mm -hmm. What was the decision making around the messages that you chose there and, you know, where you put them, how long they stay? Um, and then, of course, the there's a QR code there as well, soliciting feedback from the public. Mm -hmm. At the time that I arrived, the curtains were still there and we felt like you know, we were getting such, such different feedback on it. And we felt like what we needed to do was really provide a lot more of that context and start to talk to people about the information and some of the questions and concerns that there are around this dromedary and try to figure out what the right next step would be for the diorama. The, taking out the human remains and taking that though to the sanctuary is... That's a very simple decision in my mind at this point. Like, we're going to yeah. do that. I think most people, when we hear from people about that, they say that makes sense. But, hey, what are you going to do about the mummies? You know, so they recognize that um, there are human remains other places. So that that is kind of one path. And that will that will happen regardless of what happened to the rest of the diorama. Um, but then trying to understand and give people the opportunity to to look at the diorama and have them think critically about changing worldviews over time. And is this the right display to talk about those changing worldviews? 
some people say, absolutely not. You could do this with other information and other objects that would be less painful to certain people. So that's certainly a very valid um, option to say, yes, it's a great educational tool, but we can do that education in other ways. We can talk about these messages and this problematic colonial history and changing views over time with something else, right? Yeah. So right now we've got a handful of final kind of overlays of graphics where we're almost treating the diorama almost like an infographic where connected to, you know, sort of close by to certain aspects of the diorama, you can read a bit more about the lions or the costume or the human remains um, to kind of break it down. Yeah. So just kind of trying to unpack that and dissect a little bit for people. And we've heard from a lot of people, okay, I... I've seen this diorama my entire life. I never saw it this way. This is really illuminating and thank you. Okay. And then there are others that think it's completely overthought and the museum being woke and way over politically correct and super, super sensitive. But this is a bunch of baloney. I mean, it, it kind of runs the gamut. That's what we're getting from the QR codes. And that's what's been really good is that you know, we're getting dozens of comments back every month since that went up last fall. And just trying to skip through that and say, okay, what is the other kind of education or context or information we can provide that might be helpful to understanding the complexity of these issues? And, and this can help inform what we do next, you know, or what we do ultimately. So this QR code feedback is helping us think about okay, maybe we need a little bit more framing around a certain issue. Or maybe we need to think about um, having some of our educators spend more time around the diorama to engage in conversations with with people who have questions. Um, Or we say, okay, ultimately, maybe the thing that we need to do is take this diorama off display permanently. So we're trying to step through that and figure out kind of the the path forward and not take it lightly because there are a lot of really, really strong feelings in all areas. Well, so right now, knowing that the feedback is going to continue, what do you think? You know, do you like where it is? No. Where would you rather have it? On display elsewhere or off display? Yeah, the reason I don't like where it is, is that, so if you come into the museum through the Forbes Avenue entrance, which sounds like that's where you came through. Yeah, yeah. Come in and you go left, it's right there. So that is the very first display you encounter at the museum. For the art museum or the natural history museum, um, because the two are connected. Yes. And I don't think that's fair to visitors to have to engage in that kind of content right off the bat. Yeah. What are the demographics of the museum? Of the visitors? Yeah, of the visitors right now, because, you know, I know, at least in years past, I've heard tell that, you know, more often the it's primarily white, it's primarily uh, wealthy when income inf- information is shared. There's been a ton of effort to get, you know, school field trips, for example, um, from Pittsburgh Public, which is mm-hmm. primarily black and brown students. How do you have these conversations when you're, you know, trying so hard to bring in other portions of our community? And like, as you say, this is this depiction of violence to a brown body is the mm-hmm. first thing you see. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's that that's exactly it. So when we talk about representation in a museum and then the only representation in there is this kind of thing them. I mean, if this were balanced with lots of other stories and lots of other representations, 
maybe you could start to say, okay, well, then this is like one sliver of that experience. But this kind of is like encapsulating this whole story of a continent right now, because I don't have other exhibition galleries that are talking about the African continent and the great diaspora of amazing um, peoples and traditions. Yeah. Now, the solution can't always be, we'll take it off the floor. If it's making people upset, that can't always be their reaction. But there also are times when we need to make room for new things. You know, I think there's a real attachment to certain things in museums that I've experienced at other places where I've been, where people are like, you can't take that off display. I've been seeing that my whole life. I'm like, yeah, but I, I also need to tell other stories. Yeah. And haven't you seen it enough by then? Right. But it's like so loaded. Like it's so... People have such strong feelings about it. I can't say, well, scientifically, it's not accurate. Scientifically, it has actually nothing to do with the research of the Carnegie Museum of Natural History anymore. Scientifically, it's not actually the subject matters that we're concerned with today. It sounds like you're workshopping your uh, talking points, though. (laughs) Those are going to be the things you ultimately have to say, (laughs) I imagine. Because the American Museum of Natural History, when they sold it to Andrew Carnegie in 1898, it was because they said it had no scientific value to them. That's hilarious. That was 120 years ago. 120 years ago. But it's like this sacred object to certain people because it's, it's like nostalgia. So, but it's not, it's not art, you know? Yeah. So what's the timeline for some of this work, you know, for uh, being able to remove the skull and, and take that down and maybe some of the Egyptian exhibits as well to, to begin that? So we have some interpretation up in the Egypt hall right now that lets people know that we will be removing the human remains in a few months and kind of why and talking about the changing practices in natural history museums and informed consent. And so I think that we're kind of just working some logistics out for the dromedary and trying to solve like what would go in its place. Um, we have an opportunity to do some really exciting research on the skull that might help us identify its origins. Um, So we're trying to work with some researchers to figure that part out. And that would be a really great opportunity because not that it may may not give us enough detailed information to actually repatriate the remains, Mm -hmm. but it might give us a little bit more information that we could um, sort of honor the the remains in our collections in a different way. So. Yeah. Can you DNA test a skull of that age? I, I have no idea. You could do an isotope analysis on the, the teeth and that'll kind of help us do a location of it. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your perspective. Um, it's, it's, it's been wonderful. Thanks. Yeah. It's just like one of the great things about working at a museum is you're always learning. <laughs> you know, it's every, every object gives you a chance to, to learn something. News, news, news. Okay, a little bit of news. Uh, A new survey from the University of Pittsburgh shows that 93% of hospital workers are thinking about leaving the profession. That's a lot. That survey includes thousands of hospital workers, not doctors, though, who had worked at at least one of the city's 11 hospitals as of 2021. While the majority of employees reported that the work they do is meaningful, things like staffing shortages, low pay, and mental and emotional demands were the reasons a lot of them have for leaving the job. 
And some great news for bikers and walkers alike. Pennsylvania will give $1.7 million to build a trail connecting Hazelwood and Greenfield along the Sylvan Avenue. That grant comes as the neighborhood is getting a bit of a facelift. The former Gladstone Middle School is being refurbished into affordable apartments. City Councilor Corey O'Connor said that the trail will be open within the next couple of years. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. If you like the show, let us know with a rating, a review, and also by subscribing to the morning newsletter. And don't skimp on these long episodes, people. We'll be back to 15 minutes when we get back to a daily oh, oh, oh so soon with hopefully a new producer by our side. We'll be back Thursday morning with more news from around the city. See you then. Wow, that was an exorcist breath.